So this will be the last episode in season one of the Quiet Landscapes podcast. It's been wonderful recording season one and I've had some amazing guests, so thank you to everybody who's joined me. We will be returning after a break during the summer months where I am interviewing some more guests and so I will be seeing you in a month or so, but for now I will leave you with a a lovely final episode, season one, recorded with Paul Sanders. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Quiet Landscapes podcast. Now today I have Paul Sanders with me and Paul is a photographer who has a really special way of seeing the world. Um, His beautiful, calm, black and white images uh, come with a message that's deeper than just the images themselves and I think Paul's mindful approach to photography is it's both beautiful but it's also very much needed in today's world. So Thank you for joining me, Paul, today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be part of this. I love your new venture. I think it's fantastic. Well done. Thank you so much. It's it's actually quite ironic, isn't it? Because it wasn't one of the first times that we met was when you interviewed me for the podcast many years ago. Uh, yes, we, we met up on uh, Lewis somewhere, didn't we? Was it Lewis? Yes, it was Lewis, wasn't it? Yeah, I love Lewis, yeah, on a, a very, very random hot day, because I remember the mist. I don't know, there was really low ha, wasn't there? It was a bit, really atmospheric day on Lewis. That's <laughs> quite bizarre. And so began yeah. a good friendship. Yes, yes. And so today I wanted to get into a little bit um, of the mindful aspect to your photography and to just talk through the the motivations behind your work um so you know i think that um just to start off i think a lot of a lot of photographers have like a a, a genre that they love but your work's really varied isn't it so if we look at your work you've got um, maybe a a piece of rhubarb i don't know if you have a photograph rhubarb but you know vegetables or still lives and then landscapes as well so you've got different types of genres but your work's bound by a style isn't it so the subject matter is really varied um so can you just tell me is something i'm interested in is is the subject um matter important to you yeah the i mean the the subject of the the photograph is everything because i marvel at the world around me and I think one of the things we often do as photographers is we put ourselves in boxes saying I'm a landscape photographer I'm a wedding photographer I'm a street photographer and we're we're frightened of just pushing those boundaries because of the the external validation of our work by people that get used to seeing what we do um, I mean, for a long time, I was, you know, described as a long, a black and white, long exposure landscape photographer. And I actually found that really limiting because it stopped me enjoying seeing other things. Um, and you're quite right. You know, I mean, I, I was marveling at the rhubarb that was growing. Um, I mean, literally we dug our garden up over lockdown and the rhubarb root came up and it was sort of dumped outside, <laughs> just dumped outside my office and every day that I came past it, it was sort of just sort of sat there looking like a, a big kind of sweet potato. Um, and then all of a sudden, this little green and like purple thing just started to sprout. And it was absolutely beautiful. And I was just looking at it thinking, my goodness, that has literally been through snow and frost and rain and has got no means of visible support. And yet out of this, like, you know, being literally hacked to pieces when we dug the garden up, it's still 
got the resilience to grow. And I just thought, I have to photograph it. Now, was it a long exposure? Yes, because I don't have proper lights in my studio. So I think it was about a minute, the exposure, to photograph a piece of rhubarb. Thank God it didn't move. But the subject is everything. The subject gives you so much if you if you spend time looking at it, if you spend time with it, if you if you observe it as itself and not as what it can give you as a photograph. You know, so I didn't look at that piece of rhubarb and thinking, wow, that's gonna get me, you know, a hundred likes or, you know, or maybe I'll sell a print. I just looked at it and thought, that's so beautiful. And so and it sort of summed up quite a lot of human characteristics about resilience and strength and um and I think when you're when you have an openness you you actually see the beauty um and a, a reflection of the human condition in so many things um you know so my I think my photography is quite random but you know it is bound by the fact I shoot you know largely black and white and square um and I, I think that Yes, I have a I have a sort of style that's evolved that I've sort of found and I've liked, but it's the the style just gives me some sort of you know boundaries on my on my work. Um, I don't mind what I photograph, um, you know, because it, it just the the subject just has to say, "Hey, you you with a camera, look at me," and then and then I'm I'm I kind of get lost in it. Uh, and I love just dissolving into into it. That's that's really interesting. It's, uh, I don't know why I've never asked you this before, but it's something I've always um, I've thought about quite a bit. And actually, when I teach, I was teaching online, finding your voice courses over, and we we're talking about style. And I was <laughs> used you as an example, actually. Oh dear. <laughs> so you you an you an you an example for uh, somebody who isn't uh, you know bound by the the particular genre and it's more your style is is deeper isn't it so it's it's more um the thoughts on the human condition i suppose that that come through in your photography yeah i think i i use my own um my own life experience and my own vulnerabilities in my photography um and i, I think one of the things that I stopped doing was actually worrying too much about what other people thought of my work or thought about what I was photographing because I don't photograph for other people. I photograph to to sort of pay witness to to the beauty around me, um, whether that is in a piece of rhubarb or a landscape or you know some flowers or or even you know discarded discarded rubbish at the side of the road. Uh, you know I can I can find a beauty or a story in all sorts of things and the thing i i'm most passionate about is that it's the why i photograph you know the how i photograph isn't isn't too interesting to anybody you know i mean it's a combination of shutter speed aperture and a black and white film simulation i mean really who cares um the the why is it sort of accesses parts of me that i can't I find really hard to talk about um, and the, the photographs give me a, a way of expressing things that are on my mind um, you know so it doesn't matter if if people buy my work or like it or don't like it or whatever um, the, the vehicle for expression is, is for me what it's about yeah it's that that um, 
Yeah, it does. Yeah, that that why is um, it's the thing that defi- di- differentiates people who 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 can create really sort of authentic work and real powerful work. I think once you start to understand your why, um, it's really hard. It's it's I think it's something that people struggle with a, a lot. But once you start to understand it, that that allows you to express yourself in a way that it's truly your own thing, isn't it? Um, so the why is a, is a massive, uh, it's a massive question, isn't it? Not many people can answer, so. No, I think, I mean, in many ways, I think I'm very lucky because as a news photographer, I always had to understand the why I was photographing. What is the story and why are we here? Um, and then as a picture editor, you're always asking photographers, what is the story in your picture and why did you take it like that? Not in a damning, condemning sort of way, but, you know, why is that relevant? So you're always thinking about the why. And then when I stepped out of the news photography and picture editing, um, I didn't actually know the sort of photographer I was because I'd always taken pictures to, to order or commissions. So it's actually been a traumatic but a fun journey to find out what I like um, and why I photograph things. Um, and I love the connection that I have with the subjects. Um, you know, and, it, and it's, I don't judge things on whether they will make a good photograph. I judge things on whether they're interesting to look at. You know, whether they've tweaked my curiosity or whether they just look wonderful or, you know, um, whether they take my breath away. Um, I, I, the, the photography part of it is so, it, it's not irrelevant, but it's such a small part of my process. Um, you know, I love making images, but the, the whole thing is I look at something and just go, wow, oh, I love it. And, and that's, that's it. That for me is enough for me to start exploring whether it might make a picture or whether it's something that I'll actually just enjoy the experience of being with. And, and I don't mind if I don't get a photograph. And one of the things I think we are, as photographers are frightened of is investing time in something and not coming away with a picture. We almost have to make a picture and then we start scrabbling around and photographing lots and lots and lots and lots and lots. And then we, we edit with a view to, oh, I hope something's made it rather than did I enjoy the experience of just being outside looking at those you know waves in your case or bits of rhubarb in my case and and if you enjoyed the experience whether you got a photograph or not actually that's uplifting it's spiritually and mentally fulfilling and I think that's that's really important that especially these days that we have a bit of downtime and just spend th- time with things that we enjoy looking at. Yeah, so simple, isn't it? And so often um, forgotten the things that you've touched on there, like enjoying, not doing it for yourself and so not doing it for anybody else and um, not being worried if you don't get a photograph out of as, as a result. So if you take those those things away from... Um, people often feel pressured by those things um, and forget to enjoy photography. <laughs> Um, you take the, them all out, then it, it's freeing, isn't it? And you actually you find this enjoyment, and from this enjoyment, you find that you want to do more um, photography, and it, it's just it it uplifts you. Then, so that's really really helpful. I mean, I think pressure is in modern life is huge. You know, I mean, if you if you think we have 
the pressure to look right, be a certain shape, size, uh, you know, not look old. Um, uh, you know, our faces have got to be immaculate. Even men these days, you know, if you've not got a six pack as a man on the beach, then you kind of hide your head in shame behind your, uh, you know, behind your windbreak. Um, and then you've got the pressure of living, you know, mortgages to pay, uh, you know, kids, grandkids. And then you add into that the competition side of photography and the need to have your work validated externally. There's all this pressure and it's crushing. And to say, do you know what, actually, that doesn't matter. That pressure from the, the, the ego side of photography doesn't matter. It doesn't make me a good or bad photographer if I win or don't win a competition or if I don't get a 20 in my club competition or if nobody likes my work. I enjoy what I do. That's so freeing. And it takes the weight off your shoulders. You can't do anything about, you know, the the routine pressures of life, the, the mortgages, the bills, you know, health, welfare, all that. You can't do anything about those. But you can take the pressure off yourself in other ways. Um, and to, to not feel pressure to make a good picture means you actually probably will make better pictures because you are more open to the opportunities. As soon as you apply pressure, you, your, your vision closes down because you're looking for a certain formula that works rather than something that just randomly catches your eye. I mean, yesterday morning, I was photographing my skirting board you know, I mean, how random is that? And I, I literally, I was sitting in bed drinking a cup of tea and I was looking and out of the bedroom door, it sounds luxurious, doesn't it? Sitting in bed drinking tea. I, it's very, it's very English. <laughs> Read, reading my copy of an iron newspaper. I had the butler bring it up, you know. <laughs> but the light coming in from the landing window was hitting the wall and the it was just the angles. We've got a curved wall and then kind of right angled um, skirting board and I just thought god that's so beautiful it doesn't fit with any genre of photography that I can think of but it was so beautiful so I got out of bed and I, I only using my phone I got on my hands and knees down by the skirting board and framed it up the same way that I'd seen it from the from the bed and I just thought you know what it's so simple and so lovely and I really enjoyed it. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter if other people get it or don't get it. I, I just thought, I love it. That's great. That's enough. And if more of us engage with the things that caught our eye rather than thinking, oh, that's not going to be liked or that's not going to get me any points or it's not worth a competition, everything is, everything is worth photographing or paying attention to. The, the more we pay attention to the beauty, the more happiness we, we, we derive from life. You know, so I always think that the awareness of beauty and the happiness in life, there's a direct connection. Very well said. Um, you actually said something that, that was going through my mind as you were talking, actually, and then you said it, so that was handy. Um, but you said that once you um, free yourself from all these, um, the, you know, the need to, to take a picture for somebody else, and um, you actually create better pictures. So you, you once you've you've got rid of all that, the, the ideas of perfectionism and um, shooting for other people and, and needing to be liked, your, your, the freedom to create is just incredible, isn't it? You go out and you 
you create images for yourself and they they become so much better than if you were um you were doing it for for a competition and you were thinking well actually because you're starting to think then well i need uh, an aperture of, of whatever to, to to make the judge think that that's passable or I can't blow the highlights or etc and you, you're just restricting your vision all the time aren't you so we, we all need to free up a little bit I think I was going to say but if you look back in over history over the history of photography if you study what people have done they don't photograph things because they're going to be technically perfect they photograph things because the story about them is interesting you know, and and they're they're captivated by a beauty and a wonder and a feeling. They're not worried about whether the image is razor razor sharp or you know, if you go back to the early days, they're blown highlights and blocked in blacks because the technology wasn't there. And just because we can control all of that now doesn't mean we should. And funnily enough, I was doing um, a little Zoom talk last night and. Um, a lady showed me her, uh, Prue, Prue Heron showed me her image of a, a, a young child and she said something along the lines of this, this image isn't perfect because something about a little blown highlight on the hair. And um, <laughs> the, the question is, what is perfect? So how, how if she said, if, if I said to you, well, that image isn't perfect and you just you could just say, well, actually, it is because it's all opinion, isn't it? So perfection isn't a thing. There isn't anything that's perfect because who says what's perfect? Does that make sense? Yeah, well, it does, because I mean, I don't believe perfection actually exists. Um, I mean, I sought perfection when I in literally since I started as a photographer until I left the Times, I sought perfection. Um, everything had to be as close to perfect as you could. I wanted to be perfect. And you're just chasing a, 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 you know, a mirage because it's not there. And I think people who insist on perfection images, are, they're missing a trick. Um, you know, blown highlights, dark shadows, slightly out of focus images probably have more resonance with the actual moment than a technically perfect image. I mean, it, you know, I often when I do my my talks to camera clubs, I say, you know, if you look at all the leaves on a tree, which one is perfect? Which is the perfect oak leaf? You know, there there are hundreds of thousands on a tree. Which one is perfect? None of them. They're all different. They're all unique, but they're all beautiful. And if we actually embrace the the imperfections or the flaws. Um, you know, I mean, what I find funny now is that we've got cameras that have huge resolution and resolving power lenses that are super sharp, and yet people are putting old lenses on them to bring in imperfections because it makes the images feel more real. Um, you know, because they photograph people or things and they look too hyper real. You know, they're sort of almost surreal. Whereas they'll put an old lens on or do, you know, what I used to do is put a stocking over the lens or, you know, bits of ripped paper just to break the image up a little bit to, to give it some emotion. I, I think sometimes the perfect, the sort, the, the seeking of perfection leads to an absence of emotion, an absence of feeling. And it's the, the imperfections or the so-called flaws, the normality, if you like, of something that actually lends it its beauty, its power, and its voice. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I, um, I specialise in imperfect images. 
<laughs> you have your coffee. <laughs> I uh, definitely specialise in imperfect images. <laughs> I love a bit of movement and uh, un unintentional camera movement, and and uh, <laughs> you know, it's there is no, there, there definitely is no um, perfection in in my world. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, we we seek we seek that validation for our perfectionism, and I don't think it's helped by um, you know some some competitions and certainly some camera club competitions where there's a pressure to have the perfect image and you know, the, the the commentary on the images will be if this wasn't there it would be perfect if the, if it had this it would be perfect if the sky was better it would be perfect but accepting what's there and working with what you're given is is a mark of gratitude and respect you know, we can't control nature. Um, you know, you can't control the way your subject looks or feels. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, to to such a degree. So, do you? I mean, just as as we're talking there, do you? You know, you talk about a lot about um, resilience and weakness and and being overwhelmed and anxiety in your the words that go with your images. When you talk about these subjects, do you think when you're writing these down and when you're you're thinking this through, do you do this for yourself, for your own release, for your um, for you, or do you when you're doing it, do you think about helping others who are going through similar things, or is that just a byproduct? It's it's a good question because I um, the the writing is effectively me telling myself something. So the, the, the writings that go with the, like the Instagram posts and things like that, that's a, just a stream of consciousness um, that has been triggered by the way I've photographed something or the moment that I've, um, that I've been involved in. And I, I think that what happens then is that you, you develop um, an awareness to your, to your work and an awareness to the moment, and an awareness to yourself. But a bit of the byproduct is that you, by putting it out there, by sharing your vulnerabilities um, and your doubts and the, the perceived weaknesses that modern society says, oh, you know, you're, you've got a mental health problem, therefore you're weak. Um, it's trying to destigmatize it. It's trying to say to people, look, I'm just an ordinary bloke. And I find that I struggle with this uh, and this worries me and this causes me anxiety. And here's a photograph that I took when I was feeling like that or that reminds me of that. And if, if somebody connects with it in that way, that's fantastic. If it helps somebody else along the way, that's, that, you know, that's brilliant. I mean, it sounds quite selfish in a way that I do, you know, I photograph for myself and the writings are a stream of consciousness, but I share them because over the time, over time, other people have shared their experiences with me, and it's just a way of giving a little bit back. And I've met some wonderful people through the sharing of the the ideas or thoughts behind it. I mean, I'm not. Um, I wouldn't class myself as a, a writer or anything like that. But the way the way the the, the words come sometimes, I don't know where they come from. Um, you know, and if they connect with, you know, with somebody, I usually get one or two responses fairly swiftly 
uh, as private messages from people saying, I really needed to hear that today. Thank you. And that's fantastic. It doesn't validate me, but it's good that I can give a little bit of something to somebody somewhere. Yes. Yeah. And I suppose you're then talking from a genuine sort of authentic place from within yourself and when you put it out there people will respond to it because they'll respond to it because it's real because we're we're real people aren't we and we have we have issues and we have this thing on social media don't we where we see people with perfect lives and not perfect but you know seemingly perfect lives um but then they're not um tip of the iceberg yes yeah i know and 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 you know they're sharing oh i had a wonderful i've got a wonderful relationship i've got um, perfect size and whatever that's not real is it because nobody lives like that (laughs) so it's really refreshing to see somebody who shares the the vulnerable side of 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 your, you, what you do is of yourself um, and I think that's why people respond to it and it's so important because I think we, we need more of that in the world don't we we need more people to be, to be honest but I mean honest. if you um, I don't know whether you've heard of uh, Brené Brown she does a lot of uh, yeah. talks um, on uh, sort of TED talks and things but she talks about vulnerability uh, and you know I've thought for a long time that being being vulnerable is is a creative strength. Um, and then you hear somebody with her experience of sort of the mental health world talking about vulnerability. And you think, blimey, I want to be more vulnerable because it's such a powerful thing. Um, you know, and if you look back over history, a lot of people who are very creative are also very vulnerable. They make themselves vulnerable. They access their vulnerability to drive their creativity. Um, and if you if you're not vulnerable, then you know, or if you if you don't acknowledge your vulnerabilities, you're essentially saying that feeling in any way, shape, or form is bad. So if you can't feel anything, how can you expect other people to feel something when they look at whatever you produce? They can't, you know, because there's none of you going into it. There's nothing, you know. It's just it's just a facade. It's a it's painting by numbers. And, you know, whereas if you can allow your your fears, your hopes, your anxieties, your insecurities all to kind of channel into into something um, without worrying about what people think about you, which is the other big hurdle. um, Actually, your work has a much more authentic ring. And that goes for whether you're a photographer, a painter, a writer, a poet, whatever. You know, it comes from really deep down. You know, it, it's it's not about what you do with your head. It's about what you do with your heart. Yeah, that's um, I don't know what to say to that because that was that was really lovely to listen to. Actually, well done. <laughs> For once, I'm stumped. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I totally agree with you with vulnerable, and I think people actually find that really hard to to be vulnerable, don't they? I think that's it's a really tough thing to do, especially on social media these days. So. Um, I think that it's it's amazing what you're doing. And I think um, also um, a lot of what you're doing is helping people understand um, mental health and anxiety. Is is that a, a part of it for you as well? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I worked in a, in a world where to have a mental health problem was deemed as being weak and being a failure and being damaged. Um, you know, I was damaged goods. As soon as I admitted that I was suffering with 
de- you know, depression and insomnia and anxiety. You know, my days at the times were were numbered, um, because it's seen as a sign of weakness. And, and actually, you know, it's a to get to that point. It, it, it's actually a strength to have masked it for so long that people didn't even realise. Um, you know, and I, I just thought, you know, I if I can help other people realize that what they're going through is normal it's valid you don't need to to hide it away you know yeah it's it's a worry um you know mental health isn't something to be taken lightly um and i think the conversation around mental health nowadays is massive and that's so good um you know and the the fact that it's being destigmatized by so many is really really helpful especially for men um, you know, I mean, men are meant to be seen as the breadwinner. They're meant to be seen as strong. You know, there's all these stereotypes. And as soon as you admit you're a bit vulnerable, all of a sudden people class you as weak. And it's not a weakness to get to breaking point. You know, to actually reach breaking point and be able to sort of get your feet right over the edge and then just step back. That's massive strength, a lot of internal strength, um, and I never realised when I was going through actually how strong I was, how much stuff I'd shouldered, um, you know. And it was nothing; it was never anything one big thing. It was lots and lots and lots of little things, you know. And it's a bit like you know carrying stuff downstairs. People, I just take another box and another box, put another one on top, and you kind of, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And then somebody puts the tiniest thing and it's just out of balance and wham, there you go, you know. That's not being weak. That's just pushing your boundaries to the absolute max because you don't want to let anybody down. You want to, you know, um, and all you do in the end is, you you know, you you burn out, you you break down yourself. You know, you don't let other people down. And and they, they literally pick up the thing that you drop, the tiny thing, and they walk past you as if they've achieved something. You know, but they're carrying one small thing and you're still left there with all your boxes lying around. You're thinking, oh my goodness, like, what do I do with this mess? You know, and there's somebody else picked up your one little box and they're, they're going, I've bought the little box. <laughs> I, I like that analogy, actually. I can... Um identify with that over the past few months can you just tell us actually just just um briefly to to finish on um what you how lockdown has changed your business because you've been doing more um local and um mindful retreats at home would you want to just tell us a little bit about what you've been doing and how it's changed you yeah with the um i i set up my little company called still um a couple of years ago but actually I'd never really done anything with it because I've always been too busy doing stuff for other people. And and weirdly, lockdown actually lent itself to to still because I was able to to to, to sort of pivot um to use a business term. Apparently I pivoted. <laughs> so rather than going um, going abroad and doing all the workshops, I was able to to look at still and go, right, this is what I really want to do. And bring in the the important things to me are you know sort of uh, mindfulness and awareness 
Um, and because people were stuck at home, the the way those workshops kind of came about was to get people to appreciate the beauty within their home, get them to look at the way the light moves around their home, how their garden changes, the different colours that they could see. Um, and it was just a, a, a series of really simple exercises and the demand, I, I think because people were unsure of how long things were going to last, the demand was really, it blew me away, to be honest. Um, you know, so I've been running sort of four or five workshops a week um, online. Um, and we started off with a series of three and then people wanted more. So that went to a series of six and then the people wanted, you know, so it went to another six. And now I've just changed it to do this uh, Finding Beauty Through Stillness, which is a it's a four week program, but I, there's a, a, like a bonus, a bonus fifth, um, a fifth one on the end, um, that just works in mindfulness, meditation, journaling and photography all into the same thing without the pressure to impress as a photographer or as a writer or as a person, you come, you bring yourself, you bring your authentic self. And then in a small group, you share the pictures to the brief, you know, to your interpretation of the brief. There's no right or wrong, and this is what's so refreshing is people go, I don't know whether it's good enough. And you're like, <laughs> like you've submitted a photograph, that's that's great. You yeah, but I don't know whether it fits the brief. And you're, well, actually, I can see that it does because of X, Y, and Z. Um, and you're you're helping to build people's confidence. Um, in a you know, and the groups are re- form a really lovely bond. There's a lot of support, internal support from the group, a lot of peer support. Um, and everybody celebrates the fact that they see differently. And, and I love that. I mean, I almost think there's a point that they could just carry on without me, you know, just email me for an idea and that will be fine. <laughs> um, you know, but I, I love that. And to be honest, it was my accountant that gave me the kick up the backside to, to not sit there going, oh, my workshops have gone. You know, it was her that said, this is an opportunity, an opportunity to, to do what you want, to do what you're passionate about and to do what you set still up to do. Sounds like it like dovetailed really well, because actually what you'd set up or what you, you were, were trying to set up and, and didn't launch almost because you were too busy. Um, the, the lockdown gave you the space and the time to, to, to do this, but also there became a need, didn't there, last year? People were, were needing this this very, very much, you know, we're needing connection in, in this, um, and creativity and connection last year was really, really important and it had to be online. So it's almost like, I feel like, weirdly enough, I don't know if you feel this, I feel that COVID, I know it's been hard for a lot of people and it's got a lot of negatives. It was a blessing in a lot of ways for, for me because it gave you time to stand back and just reassess and realise how busy we'd all been. And um, so for me, it was a blessing. It sounds like it was for you as well. So Yeah, I think I was I was so busy being a workshop leader that I forgot to, you know, that I, that I forgot to be Paul. Um, I forgot to concentrate on what was important to me. Um, you know, I was sort of racing around the world with my hair on fire. Um, and, you know, I've been keeping a little journal and over the the last year, I've spent, apart from 10 days away in the gap between lockdowns, I've spent all that time at home. It's the longest I've ever spent at home since I left home at the age of 18. It's amazing. It's lovely. Um, you know, but that doesn't take away from the fact that lockdown is hard because it, it is. 
Um, and it's been emotionally hard on everybody, mentally hard, some people physically hard, um, you know, the losses that people have experienced. But there's, the, there's always a flip side to it. You know, it, the, there's always there's always something somewhere good that can come out of, um, you know, very serious situations. Um, and, you know, I count my, my blessings that I was able to, to, to develop still in the way that I wanted, in the way that it was set up for, um, you know, that lockdown gave that opportunity. So. Uh, it's lovely. It's, it's really lovely to see you doing so well with it. And um, I think it's something that people need. So can you just um, finish by telling everybody where they can find you? Uh, in my shed at the bottom of my garden. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I meant to find, find you on. <laughs> um, no, if you go to um, uh, discover underscore still on Instagram, or uh, discoverstill.com that's where you can find a bit more about me um and uh you know it'd be nice to nice to interact with a few people um if they come along and say hello <laughs> okay thank you so much that was wonderful thank you for joining us today thank you for listening today I'm truly grateful for you taking the time out to listen in if you feel inspired in any way I'd really appreciate it if you could share or review the show you can also share it on Instagram and tag me or reach out with any thoughts I'm at Margaret Soraya and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode